0: Friends and thanks for tuning in to TGC Midweek. My name is Jacob here with Michael Novak, and this week we're launching into a new series. Going to spend a couple of weeks talking on covenants. Michael, what made you want to talk about this topic?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I think that it's uh, a crucial topic if you want to understand reform theology. Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit before, and you mentioned that you think that it could be the. Uh, actual thing that sets reformed theology apart yeah uh, from other doc systems of uh of theological thought.
0: So when I was first discovering covenant theology, which was not all that long ago, um, started doing some uh, you know, Google research on the topic. And I mean, you've got really smart guys like RC Sproul and Michael Horton that say in no uncertain terms, covenant theology is reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Michael Horton says that they could be synonyms for one another. Yep. Um and as you learn a little bit more about it, uh, it, it it does seem that like if if a person wants an introduction to reform theology, um, just conceptually and from like a uh, an ordering of logic, this is probably where you should start. Probably even before the five points of Calvinism. Sure. Um, but this topic is a little bit. For me, at least, it was a little bit more difficult to wrap mm-hmm. your head around. Yeah. The writing that you find on mm-hmm. on this topic can be a little more dense and wonkish. Yep. Um, so I think what our goal here with this series is to just give folks some concepts to sort of think about mm-hmm. this critical principle in Reformed theology. Um. And I'll just give away the argument. What What my goal is, and I think Michael shares this, is to help folks understand how all of scripture works together Mm -hmm. and that it's not just a collection of books, but that it's one story from beginning to end and furthermore to help folks understand how the totality of scripture is pointing to Christ.
1: Yeah. And I think that's key. I mean, the goal here is to get to the point of really understanding the Bible better, Mm -hmm. um, the story that it tells. And very practically speaking, we'll touch on this in coming weeks, but understanding covenant theology or a covenantal understanding of the scriptures helps you understand why you would want to listen to preaching from the Old Testament mm-hmm. um, or how the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, go together. Um, or uh, the idea of understanding the sacraments really comes into play uh, as you talk about covenant theology. So um, there's some very practical reasons for why we have chosen this topic, um, and I think that it'll be interesting and, um, and get folks thinking, at least, yeah. uh, over the coming weeks as we
0: bat it back and forth. So when I first heard covenant um, it kind of seems like a little bit of a buzzword, you know that's a, that's a two dollar word there, uh-huh. and um, you know, it gets thrown around from time to time. Churches are named, you know, Covenant Church, such and such, and you <laughs> yeah. went to Covenant Seminary, and uh-huh. that word's thrown around a lot. Now, when I was a kid, Covenant was the aliens on Halo. <laughs> so, um, why don't you help folks uh, just with a, a baseline definition of what we mean when we're talking about a covenant?
1: Yeah, covenant has all uh, everything to do with relationship. And so, covenant is the way that God has decided to enter into relationship with His creatures. Um, and uh, just for a little bit of background, Old Testament background, um when Moses was writing the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, they lived in the ancient Near East, and uh, the idea of a treaty would have been familiar to mm-hmm. the people that he was writing to, and specifically what's known as a suzerain vassal treaty, or a treaty between uh, a lord and a servant, or a king and a vassal. Um, where you have one party that's bigger and grander and, and stronger and provides for the other, uh, and they basically enter into an agreement uh, where uh, the king or the higher party uh, offers promises, um, and he expects the uh, servant or the vassal um, to uh, accomplish obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as the promises are provided and the obligations are met, the relationship basically is able to flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of the background idea of uh, the idea of covenant. Um, and if you think about it, this idea of covenant, God coming to relate with us uh, in a covenantal way, um, we'll get to this in the coming weeks, really provides a lot of security for our relationship with him. Yeah. Um, now, on one hand, you could think it doesn't provide much security because the obligations we fail to keep. And so what do we do with that? Well, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Um, But this idea of covenant actually provides the foundation for relationship to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, uh, as you look at the covenants in the scriptures, it's always God who initiates this covenant, the covenants with his people. Um, He's the one who initiates relationship. He's the one who sets the term for the relationship. uh, And we're the ones who benefit from him reaching out in order to establish that relationship with us. And so in some ways, you could think of covenant as a fancy way to say uh, it's a formal relationship. Some people have used the word contract, Mm -hmm. um, although there's probably some pitfalls for using that word in this particular context. Although there are some good things that uh, bring, you know, come to mind as you think about contract and how it relates to covenant. Um, But it's basically how God relates to his people uh, and it's more than just kind of groovy feelings. Yeah. He's actually coming and committing himself mm-hmm. uh, to his creatures. Um, and so that's what we
0: mean when we when we say covenant. Sure. So um, one of the books that I've, I've read on this topic is O. Palmer Robertson's Christ of the Covenants. And uh, his definition of covenant is uh, pretty colorful. He calls it, he says it's a, a bond sealed in blood, sovereignly administered. Yeah. Now that's something of a, that's something of a statement, isn't it? So um i think what he's referring to is oftentimes uh in well so in these ancient treaties the the ritual would be to take a bunch of animals slaughter them cut them in half set them apart from one another so as to create an aisle and the great king and the vassal would pass through these this uh this this barbecue basically mm-hmm. so, saying so happen to me if i violate the stipulations in this covenant. Mm-hmm. So, the vassal, if he doesn't um, yield military aid to the great king when called upon, this would be this is the curse uh, sure. of that covenant that would come to him. And the great king, whenever he does not render defense of his vassal from mm-hmm. foreign invading armies, so happened to him what would happen to these animals. Yep. So, this is where in uh, Genesis, I think it's fifteen, right, where God swears the covenant to Abraham. You see this 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 uh, ritual taking place. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. But it's interesting that you talk about the idea of um, obligations uh, and then the idea of blessings and curses. That is something to keep in the back of your mind as a listener in the coming weeks. Uh, This idea that the covenant has Mm -hmm. blessings for uh, each party as they keep the covenant. Uh, But there's also curses, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that come along with breaking the covenant. And as they pass through those broken animals, they are saying, so be me if I were to break this covenant. And the other thing that I'm thinking about, too, just off the top of my head, is we've got covenant relationships in a more horizontal way that we experience in life. And one of the covenant relationships, and we talked about this a few weeks on Sunday morning at Trinity Grace, is the covenant relationship between husband and wife. Yeah. Um, and that covenant that you make with the other person you're married to actually provides the context for that relationship to flourish, because you know they're not going anywhere, or at least they've promised not to go anywhere, and so that allows you to be you and all of your glory and all of with all of your flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also experience, in in some ways, I guess to a lesser degree, although I hate to say it that way, the covenant that you make with the church, yeah. uh, to be a member of the church. A mm-hmm. little easier to jump from church to church. Um, than it is from uh, marriage Life to, to marriage. <laughs> That's right. Um, although hopefully it, is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. we experience this covenant, um, this covenant relationship on a horizontal. Uh, well,
0: the the example of marriage is a great uh, way, as, as you mentioned, uh, how covenant adds a ton of security around the way that we view the relationship between God and humans, mm-hmm. um, because no matter how pissed off my wife is at me. Um, when I wake up the next morning, she's still going to be my wife (laughs) and some days, whether she likes it or not, some days, maybe not so much. So, um, this is a tangent. The worst advice I think you can ever give a soon to be married couple is don't go to bed angry. I think that's the worst (laughs) advice ever because you should just go to bed and go and and rest well and then pick it up in the next morning, rest in the knowledge that you're still going to be married when you wake up. Yep. So, um, Mm. well, yes. So, uh, what do you think about this idea of uh, different types of covenants that you see uh, in Scripture? We were, we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button about how many of the covenants or oaths that you see kind of happening between God and, and humans, um, there's very clearly with the, uh, with the Mosaic Covenant um, clear stipulations on both sides. And God says, "Do this, and you will live. Do this, and it will go well with you in the land." And there's other instances where it seems to be totally one sided. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get into this more, and probably next week. But when God swears the covenant to Abraham, He puts him to sleep, yeah. and God takes on both sides of the covenant yeah. um, himself. So, from a human perspective, there is this other kind of covenant which is not, which from the human perspective is uh, is unconditional. It's mm-hmm. a covenant of promise, not necessarily a covenant of not necessarily a bilateral contract to continue that analogy at the end of the day, you end up saying the same thing because um, God ends up taking the uh, satisfying the requirements or taking the sanctions upon Mm -hmm. himself. But from a human perspective, a lot of these other covenants really seem more of like, you know, not necessarily a King swearing an oath Mm -hmm. uh, with his vassal, but royally granting land or title to Uh, uh, his subservient lord
1: even as we read about the covenants in the old testament specifically you read about them and in the back of your mind you think the deck is stacked against me as a party to this covenant i know that i can't live up to the obligations that are being stipulated Mm -hmm. here uh with abraham the obligation being to obey god with kind of all your heart uh and to move out to be a blessing to the nation's the Mosaic Covenant, obviously, keeping the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and all the laws that come along with that. Um, we know that we're not able to do that. And so even though we are brought into the covenant, we fail. We deserve the curses. And this is where it really comes together beautifully in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who comes to fulfill the covenant obligations on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And he also takes the covenant curses that we deserve on his on, on our behalf uh, on the cross, uh, and so understanding the idea of covenant really helps us appreciate uh, the person and work of Jesus that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's it's really important to lay a strong foundation understanding how God wants to relate with us, because once we lay that foundation, it allows us to really savor and appreciate what He's doing through Jesus in yeah. coming Himself to fulfill covenant obligations that we
0: failed to fulfill. That's right. Um, and so it's really uh, beautiful in that way. Well, there's Michael giving away the argument, so I guess we can wrap up this five-week series and just yeah, close the prayer. Right. So. But no, I, I think a good place to uh, wrap up this week and kind of launch us into to future weeks is, is giving folks this uh, an overarching framework. Mm-hmm. Okay, When you read Scripture, there's really three broad covenants that we see, aren't there?
1: Sure. Three broad covenants that we see um, within the Reformed perspective. The first uh, being what's known as the Covenant of Redemption. And it was a covenant that was made before time between the Godhead himself, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, um, to actually come
0: and secure salvation for his people. So we don't actually see this written verbatim in the pages of Scripture. So how do we know that this is a thing? That's a
1: great question, Um, and a lot of it uh, is from inference, Mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of implied, uh, the fact that we believe, we talked about the five points of Calvinism last semester, um, that God is actually accomplishing redemption. Um, And the way that we understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operating within that accomplishment um, takes us back to think about the covenant of redemption, this plan that they Mm -hmm, had between mm -hmm. themselves to accomplish it.
0: We clearly see in the pages of Scripture that there was a plan. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about uh, the Father giving those whom He foreknew to Mm -hmm. Him. Um, Elsewhere in the New Testament, it it speaks of... um, you know the church being elected before the foundations of the world so there was clearly this from eternity past uh-huh. plan that was going on yep. so um whether you call it a covenant or you don't call it a covenant there's clearly this um relationship and plan within the trinity yep. um that was decreed before eternity past or or yes um, i don't know it it was always the plan right yep. um horton summarizes it in this one sentence michael horton um and i think it's helpful just as sort of like a maxim to help mm-hmm. folks kind of remember, it says, the Father elects a people in the Son as their mediator to be brought to saving faith through the Spirit.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you can even think about the idea that the triune God had obligations that they had to fulfill, each mm-hmm. person did. Um, and then they also were uh, promised blessings um, in the fulfillment of those obligations. Uh, and so, like you said, you don't find this covenant per se on the pages of scripture mm-hmm. explicitly. It's implicitly there. Uh, the two covenants, though, that you do find on the pages of scripture are what's known as the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And the covenant of works you find in Genesis chapters one and two, uh, where it is a covenant between God and Adam, and it is completely conditional on Adam's obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, If Adam had continued to obey, um, he would have always been in perfect right relationship with God. Um, But he failed to obey. He failed the covenant of works. And we'll talk a little bit about this next week more in depth, the Mm -hmm. covenant of works, um, because I think it's interesting. The word covenant's never used in Genesis chapter 1, but all of the recipe or ingredients for covenant are there, and we can talk about that next week. Um, But covenant of works is there in Genesis 1 and 2. And then, uh, and Adam is actually the federal head. He's the representative of that covenant. Um, So that's going to be an important term to keep in mind as well as we have this conversation.
0: So federal headship basically just meaning that um, as the federal head acts, all those that are represented by him, it is as if we acted in the same way. Adam represented
1: humanity. And so we like to think if we were in Adam's shoes, we might have done better. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we probably wouldn't have. And then also, that's not how this works. He was representing humanity uh, there in the garden. Um, Just as in the covenant of grace, which occurs basically from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, um, that is God's covenant uh, that he makes with people um, that he really uh, um, accomplishes himself Mm -hmm. in the person and work of Jesus. And so in the covenant of grace, Jesus is our federal head. He's our representative now. And a great place to go, uh, kind of hear this explained by the apostle Paul's Romans chapter five, where he talks about all men died mm-hmm, in Adam mm-hmm. and uh, everyone who believes in Jesus has life and righteousness. Yeah. And so it's how you're connected to your federal head that actually matters, your representative, your covenant representative.
0: Yeah. I like to think of the covenant of grace as um, kind of the expression of the covenant of redemption. And what I mean sure. by that is um, uh, this is how God deals with humanity through the lens of grace as Christ is our second Adam. Mm-hmm. So it, the, the name covenant of grace is, is almost ironic because it is, I don't know if conditioned is the right word, but insofar as it's the expression of the covenant of, redition, of, of redemption, it's conditions on the son's perfect obedience mm-hmm. to the law of God. So ironically, the covenant of grace is sort of a second covenant of works. And so all of us who are in Christ are saved by works, just not our own works.
1: Yeah. Obedience is expected. Yes. It's just not our obedience. It doesn't come from us. Yeah. That merits God's favor. Um, And uh, that's a great way to look at it. But just to maybe wrap it up tonight, um, covenant of works, covenant of grace, the two covenants that we see in Mm -hmm. the scripture, covenant of works is represented by Adam in Genesis chapters one and two, the rest of the Bible that we read and that we'll talk about in the coming weeks is the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's God. I love the way you put it. God's working out his covenant of redemption Mm -hmm. in real time and real
0: space. Well, that's a good place to end it for this week. Uh, We'll pick up next week, talking a little bit more about these three broad covenants that you see in scripture, uh, especially the covenant of grace. And we'll spend some time, um, kind of defining the little C covenants that you see, those administrations of the covenants, the covenant of grace that you see throughout the pages of scripture. Um, but until next time, if you've got questions about the Bible, if you have questions about Christianity or, or what you might see or, or experience on Sunday mornings, um, we'd love to hear those. You can send those in to michael at trinitygracesa.org via email, or you can text those questions anonymously to the number you'll find on the back of your bulletin. But until next time, this has been TGC Midweek. We'll see you later.